in chapter 13, verses 1 through 13, the whole chapter, just 13 verses. Let's read. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Very familiar passage that reminds us of the necessity and preeminence of love. Verses 1 to 3. In those three verses, we're definitely seeing love is necessary, love is preeminent. And then in verses 4 to 7, we read about the character of love. What are the characteristics of this love that the Lord talks about? And then in verses 8 through 13, we're reading about the permanence of love. Love will remain. No, everything else fades away, everything else comes to a close, everything is seasons based on that season of life and of maturity, but love will remain. And so, this is a familiar passage, but in some ways, this may be too familiar a passage. You've probably seen these verses in lots of different places on mugs and plaques and, you know, the side of a billboard or something. You've seen these verses so many different places and you've probably heard them read aloud at a wedding. You know, love is, and we, 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 we tend to read through these verses or we tend to listen to these verses too quickly and don't pay enough attention to them. Or we may think of this description of love of God, of the love of God, of this agape love as an ideal but an impossible standard. And we say, yeah, I see what God is saying, but I don't think I can ever do that. And we sort of dismiss it or we diminish 
are they diminish the impact of it. We minimize it, right? And we say, uh, I don't know. Or, or since these 13 verses show up in between the references to the gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12 and chapter 14, we may draw the wrong conclusion about the gifts. And I'll get to one more phrase that Paul uses a little later, but the love of God that Paul describes here is not to be considered as an either-or alternative to spiritual gifts. He's not saying spiritual gifts or love. He's not saying that at all. And he's not saying the gift of love is better than the other gifts. That's not what he's saying either. Paul is making the point that it is only when we understand and act according to the love of God that we can manifest the spirit for the common good. If spiritual gifts are for the common good, if the manifestation of the spirit is for the common good, if the work of the word in us and of the spirit in us is for the serving of others, is for loving others, is for doing all of that, then we have to understand what the love of God is because it is only as we love, it's only when we act according to God's love, when we follow his imperative, when we obey his command to love in these ways, that the Holy Spirit can be manifest. So, and it should, it should go without saying, based on all the messages in the past weeks even, but I'll reiterate this point that I've made in previous weeks by stating that verses 8 through 12 are not saying that prophecies, tongues, and knowledge are no longer necessary or available in the church and that the only thing that is required of the contemporary Christian is love. That's not what those verses are saying. Some have used those verses to say when the perfect comes, the, all this, these things, prophecies, tongues, and knowledge will pass away and so only this remains. That's not what those verses are saying. It is only when the Lord returns in glory when the perfect comes, when the completion of all that has been prophesied and been promised, when that completion takes place, that we will then be complete in that stage of our lives in Christ. Today, when we are living in the earth as children of God, we are, like children, unaware of much experiencing only in part, looking forward to the culmination and completion of what the Lord will do. But when we will at the time of Christ's perfection, Christ's return, when we attain the mature, maturity of the body that has grown to the measure of the fullness of Christ, then all of these things are no longer necessary. But up until then, all of these gifts and all of the knowledge and all of the things of God are necessary. So don't read those verses and feel that or think that gifts have passed away. Gifts are absolutely critical and necessary for us. We need, we eagerly desire and exercise the gifts in love. We speak the truth in love. We labor for the sake of others in love love. Love becomes critical. So even as we acknowledge the, that the gifts are remaining and that love is preeminent and permanent, this morning it is verses 4 through 7 that I want to primarily focus on. Right? So the first three verses 
you know, establishing what love is. And the last few verses saying, it, you know, nothing has passed away. This is how we need to express ourselves. But in verses 4 through 7, speaking of the character of love, the characteristics of love, it is appropriate that we are in those verses the week before Christmas when we celebrate the birth of the promised Messiah. God incarnate in flesh. God coming in flesh. God who is the very definition of love. God is love. God and the one therefore who can give us the definition of love and in whom, in whom, in Jesus, all of these statements about love are exemplified to the fullest. I mean, there is nothing else that we can say. So when we consider Jesus in light of these verses, we can readily say, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Right? We can read that very easily. We can read that scripture and say, oh, I see this. But these verses in the word of God are not given for Jesus' benefit. They're given for our benefit. They are given so that each of us can read these verses with our names in there. And I encourage you, whenever you read the word of God, do this regularly, that you would read these verses with your name in the middle of it. The Lord is my shepherd, and the Lord is, you know, or, or the Lord blesses. Or they, Put your name in the middle of it. Put your name and say, you know, the Lord is Philip's shepherd. Oh, praise God for that. Uh, my is quite possessive. You don't have to substitute too much in that. But uh, there are other verses where you do have that opportunity, where you can substitute your name and read the verse with your name in the middle of it. And so when we look at these verses here in 1 Corinthians 13, we should be regularly declaring about ourselves, John is patient. John is kind, Steve does not envy, Jimmy does not boast, Jill is not proud, Bobby does not dishonor others, Bonnie is not self-seeking, Philip is not easily angered, Bruce keeps no record of wrongs, Zach does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Every member of New Life Fellowship Church always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That should be our declaration. So that when we are with each other and when we are not with each other, we should be reading these verses and the people that the Lord is bringing to mind and is asking us to pray for, we would put their names in there and say, oh, this is what this person is doing. This is what they're doing. They will be patient. They will be kind. They will be loving. Put the, word, put the name in there and read these verses in that regard. Now, you remember that chapter 12 ended with Paul stating that he would show the Corinthians the most excellent way. He said, and I'll show you the most excellent way. Now, he's not referring to a more excellent gift. Love, as we've seen here, is not a gift. It is an inner reality that is expressed or manifest in consistent action towards others. So love is what is in the inside and then is manifest to others in, on the outside. It is manifest by the Holy Spirit. Love is the fruit that is born, not the gift that is given, right? The gift of God in love was the fact that he gave Jesus. But for us, in our 
the everyday life, we live out what the Lord has given to us by bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And as the Bible makes clear in multiple passages, we need to know God who is love, receive God's love that was expressed most fully in the sacrifice of Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit to have that inner reality of God's love from which our actions are manifest. But due to the ongoing effect of our own flesh, our sinful nature, the world, the devil, we don't always manifest the love of God as we should. And then in those situations, rather than beating ourselves up about that, we need to evaluate ourselves, we need to acknowledge our sin and our gap, our fault, our, our failing in that regard. We need to say, oh Lord God, I need your wisdom, I need your help, I need everything that, of the Holy Spirit to be able to move forward. We have to seek the counsel and help from others, and we have, the, we have to appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit to actually make a change. Not just to bring revelation and realization, but to actually make a change. And so this morning, as you're led by the Lord in light of these scriptures to make changes in your life, I want to make two points that can help guide you in this way of love, in this excellent way that, that Paul is pointing to. Two points just to say these are the ways in which you can be guided in the Lord. And the first one is this. Love others according to who they are. Love others according to who they are by the discernment, knowledge, and wisdom of God. Not according to your own perceptions, assumptions, or even interactions. So that you wouldn't be saying, I will love this person because I think that they're worthy of love. You will be saying, and that could be based on how you perceive them. They were, you know, they were good to me, I love them. They were nasty to me, I won't love them. It's your perceptions. Or they did this or they behave like this because of this. And you make your own assumptions. Or you say, I interacted with them multiple times. They were not, you know, they were not very friendly to me. And we make our decisions based on our own perceptions. But what the Lord is calling us to do is to love others by the discernment of the Spirit, by the knowledge of God, and by the wisdom He provides to say, this is how I should interact with this person. That regardless of what they've done or said, this is what I need to do. That means we have to get to know others by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and then love them with all their faults and all their things and everything else by the power of the Holy Spirit. You, you can't get to know somebody and know really what's going on in their heart and in their life unless it is by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you can't love somebody, truly love them, unless it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. In and of ourselves, we're not able. We will find some point where we just, we can't do it. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I talk about loving people for who they are, how they are in that sense. Um, some of you may be familiar with Gary Chapman's book that was first published in 1995 called The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts. If you haven't heard that of that book or don't know about that, Google it. There's so much material about it. 
and you'll find pros and cons about the book and so on. And the premise of the book is that we must see others the way that God sees them. We must see others the way that God sees them, that we must find ways to understand them, and that we must appreciate and respond to the different ways in which each of us think of and experience love. Right? We all think of love differently. There is the biblical standard, there is the truth of the Lord, but our past experiences and our unique life journeys have shaped our definition of love and our expectations of how love should be expressed, both in terms of how we express love and, ex and how we expect love to be expressed to us. We have a specific idea in our heads. It's not shaped always by the Bible, it's shaped by our experiences, it's shaped by our past. And so we come into any kind of interaction with those things in our head, with those ideas, right? And so even as we are being transformed into the image of Christ to love like him, we have to pay attention to this present reality, to the state of mind that we're in, to the condition of our hearts and of our thinking, that we tend to look at things in a specific way. And we have to say, Lord God, help me to not only know that, but to bring that, submit all of that to you. And what Chapman observed through his many years of study and counseling and so on, was that people respond to different love languages. And so his point was that each of us speaks a different language of love. We express love and expect expressions of love from others differently from each other. And here's what he means by that. And, and what, what that impl the implication of that is that we must learn the other person's language versus assuming they speak our language, right? We have to say, oh, okay, what does this person really think about? How do they look at this? How do they love versus this is what I think love is, right? So you keep in mind that these love languages that Chapman came up with are broad categories and they're heavily influenced by his own cultural and personal context, right? So these points that I'm making here don't apply universally to every culture, every person, everything. But these are a good starting point for us as we consider how can we practically love? What should we understand about ourselves? And how do we pay attention to the leading of the Holy Spirit? So Chapman described five love languages, words of affirmation. The idea that you would want to hear a word of affirmation. Somebody saying to you, good job, or this is good, or you know, keep doing this, or encouraging. You need that word of affirmation. So you, if you think about this personally, you may be a person who really grew up like that. Your parents did that for you. People around you did that. Uh, or even if that wasn't exactly what you grew up with, you desire that. You desire for people to say something to you, right? You don't want an award or a trophy on your shelf. You don't want you know, a certificate, you know, best father of the year kind of thing. But you want somebody to say something to you. Those words that you would hear, words of affirmation, mean something quite special to you, right? And you, you may be a person who does that for others. Your way of expressing love to somebody else is to affirm them is to speak a kind word, is to speak words of encouragement, is to say to them, oh, that was great. And you, you do it very naturally, you do it you know, consistently. That, that is your language, right? 
And then um, the other kind of love language is quality time. The idea that you spend time with somebody. Now, you, know, you may not be even talking, right? You know, men may relate more to this. You could go f on a fishing trip and be fishing for hours, not say a word to each other, and you come back and somebody says, how was it? It was great. It was really great. I had a really good time with John, right? You didn't say a word to each other. But that time together, just that time spent together, or, you know, you go for a bike ride or something like that. You know, you're, you don't even, no words of affirmation, nothing else, but you're just spending the time together. And that just, oh, that makes you glad, right? Or you're watching a game together, as some are doing this morning. You know, uh, uh, and and you, 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 you know, you're, you're not saying anything to anybody, but you're sitting there and you are just sitting beside this person and you just enjoy it. And you're just glad. And that time of quality. Now, again, there may be something else that is related to that quality time that really makes a difference for you, that encourages you, that, that you do share. There may be words you know, spoken in there that really make a difference. So I'm not saying that quality time only means that you sit in silence. right? But that time, that time that you would spend like that, and the amount of time and so on, really makes a difference for you. The next one is acts of service. The idea that you would serve somebody. They just came out of the hospital, you've got a meal ready for them and you've organized you know, everybody to give them you know, meals and you know, you're cleaning their car and you're taking care of the stuff. And you, know, you, you, you serve, you go out and you do that. And you just do that without hesitation. I know there are people in the church here who do that consistently. Acts of service, I mean, this is something that just immediately, you know, get into action that way. And, and again, we talked about in gifts, you know, of serving, administration, helps. So these kinds of things apply there too. But this is your love language. This is how you express love to somebody else. You serve, you give, you, you do this, right? You will sacrificially give for somebody else and serve them in that way with nothing, not expecting anything in return. You're not, you're not saying, oh, I'll serve you, you'll serve me. You know, it's not like that. You just give very generously. And so acts of service of that kind. The fourth one, this fourth love language, is physical touch. Oh, you're a hugger and you like to be hugged, right? I mean, you, you know, physical touch is important for you. Uh, you. You could be the most loving. And by, by the way, you know folks who are just the opposite, right? They're extremely loving, but they're not very physically, you know, they're not very physical. Right? And so you, but, but for you, physical touch is very important. And you know, you, you're always you know, touching somebody and hugging somebody and you know, crying on somebody's shoulder or you, you know, physical touch is important. And so this becomes the way that you receive it and that you express it. So, and then this last area that Chapman describes is of gifts. You really are driven by giving a gift. I don't mean just serving somebody, helping them out, doing something, but giving a gift. You think about it carefully. You are you know, very deliberate to find out what they like. You do things very, very you know, specifically like this. You plan for it and you give a gift. And when someone does that for you, I mean, when someone is thoughtful and mindful and does all of these things for you and they are, uh, you know, going at doing the same for you, oh, you're, you, that makes you glad, 
It just encourages you. So the point that I want to make, even as I'm sharing this, and even as I gave you all of the statements in the beginning to say, these are not the only ways in which we express love. Clearly, these are not the only ways in which somebody would say, I'm loving, and for a person who's, a, you know, who's not a person of words of affirmation, they may not say all of the things that somebody else does. These can vary. But the point that I want to make to you is that there are these kinds of variations, these kinds of ways in which people express themselves, these love languages. So if you thrive on and expect words of affirmation from a spouse of few words who grew up with the strongest expression of love in his family being the giving and receiving of gifts, while you think that buying unnecessary and expensive gifts for each other is a complete waste and, as a and that it's just a result of consumerism and materialism, guess what happens most every day and especially at Christmas time? Not much meaningful communication in the home and conflict whenever gift giving comes up, right? This is going to happen. So the thing that I want to point out to you is that we would understand this about the other person and say, oh, this is why this person is doing this. This is why this is happening. And I'm seeing it in this way and they're seeing it like this, right? And God puts us in relationships like that where we're not like the other person so that we will be forced to depend on him. We will be forced to ask for discernment. We will be forced to say, oh God, I don't know what to do. Please help me, right? And we're dependent on him to do all of this. And as we pay attention to others, other people's love languages, as we pay attention to these truths in our lives and what is going on and ask the Lord for wisdom, I do want to make some cautions or raise some cautions about these love languages. Our expressions of love, so just a couple of three points here in terms of this cautions to note, right? So the first caution is this. Our love expressions of love can't become a scorecard or a demand for reciprocal payment. We can't say, I did these five things for you. Now we read, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. But we are also not meant to keep a record of rights. I did this right. You know, for the past week I have been doing six things correctly. I did this, I did this, I did this. How come you didn't do this back for me? This is not to be kept, this is not a scorecard. This is not where we would say, you know, I did these things for the past three days. Now you have to do these five things for me in the next day. Right? This is not to demand reciprocal action. Right? Loving somebody and expressing our love for somebody can't be this competition. It can't be where we will say to each other, well, I did this. What did you do for me? Right? And nothing you did is good enough. We have to say, I do this as unto the Lord. I do this as led by the Spirit. I do this in response to God's command. The second caution is this. Knowing how others love or expecting or how they expect to be loved can help us deal with the present situation, with the immediate need, right? When we, we are in the moment. But it actually does not address past hurts and fears for the future. So right in the moment, something is going on, you know, something is happening, and you say, oh, this is the best way for me to respond to this person or to love this person or to express how I want to be loved and so on. 
And so we can deal with it in the moment. But it does not actually deal with past hurts and all the things that have led up to this. And it does not deal with the fears for the future. And those need to be dealt with with great care and with lots of time, dedicated time and counsel and therapy and everything else. So you can't expect that a hug or a gift or a positive word will resolve all the issues. That's necessary for that moment. That may be necessary for the way in which you're interacting with that person, but it doesn't resolve everything. It doesn't actually address the root cause of the problem. And so as one couple's therapist put it, along with touch, quality time, words, and service, you also need honesty, trust, shared goals, and ways to repair and reconnect after the inevitable conflict, right? Third caution is this. We cannot expect that others' love for us will satisfy us as only the love of God can. If you're looking for the love of others to be what satisfies you, you will be disappointed. If you're looking for the love of God to satisfy you, and then you say, oh, okay, and the love of others, that's, that, that, that's one way. But if you're looking for others' love to satisfy you, it won't. We must be growing in our love for God and receiving love from God so that God's love would suffice, would be complete, would be sufficient in every way and in every circumstance. If our love tanks are already full and overflowing with the love of God, and our love tank is constantly replenished through our relationship with God, then we can draw from that overflowing love tank to love others. But if our love tanks are empty and we're scraping bottom to try to love somebody else, it'll be exhausting. All that bending down to scrape from the bottom of that love tank makes you tired, right? But if this love tank is overflowing, if it's just the love of God is abundant in your life, it's much easier, right? So when, if our love tanks are already full with the love of God, we won't feel the lack of love and then demand others love us because we, there's nothing missing there. We're, we're not like you know, going to somebody and saying, I want this much love from you, right? Because it's already done, it's full and it's overflowing. We have what we need in the Lord and from that overflow, from the abundance, we're able to love others. Any additional expressions of love would be a bonus, not a requirement. Many times we go through life requiring love from others, requiring love from our spouses, requiring love from our parents, requiring love from our children. And you say, mm, you didn't love me. You didn't love me enough. You didn't love me at the right time. You didn't love me in the right way. But instead, we've got to be saying, Lord God, am I getting all that I need from you? Am I truly being filled, satisfied, content, loved, experiencing that in you? And if I am, then all the other things will follow. But those, don't, those are not my primary. I said there are two guideposts I want to share with you this morning in this walk of love. The first guidance is to love others according to who they are. The second is like unto the first. And I'll move through this very quickly. Love others according to where they are. Love others according to who they are, but love others according to where they are. Things change. 
Circumstances change. Preferences change. Hormones change. I won't say more about that. <laughs> Cultures change. Life is full of changes. Your most romantic gesture when you first got married may seem like an annoyance now. Uh, that song that was your song, now it's like, uh, turn that off. Things change. The season of life that you're in, what you wanted and what, you, what seemed most important in life to you when you were 30, doesn't seem so important when you're 50. And by the time you're 70, it's like, you can't even think of that. So things change. You've got to pay attention. You've got to say, Lord God, what season of life are we in? What is the need? What's happening right now? How do I need to adapt? I can't make an assumption. I can't say, I did this all this time for 30 years of our marriage, and now you're saying that you don't, you know, it's not. I know, I've got to pay attention. I've got to say, oh, well, things have changed. I've got to do this differently. I've got to express my love differently. The expression or the expectation of love that is on, the expectation of love from the other person is now different. So I have to pay attention to that. And as I do that, you see in First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, immediately after describing how wives can submit to their own husbands, the Bible says this, husbands, in the same way of what? Of mutual submission, of moving in the excellent way of the love of God, of walking in that path, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of this gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. If you're not constantly changing, if you're not constantly adapting, if you're not constantly asking the Lord to, for continued wisdom, you will not deal with understanding. I don't deal with understanding. And because of that, the Bible says, it's not just that you'll have the immediate conflict in your marriage. Your prayers will be hindered. We come together every week and we talk together all the time of saying, oh, Lord God, we want to pray and ask you for this and we want to do this and we believe that you answer our prayers. But the hindrance to our prayers many times is the lack of understanding of each other in our homes and in our churches and in our circumstances where we just don't even understand each other. And so he says this, deal with understanding so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. In light of all that the word tells us, our response, our application is that we would say, Lord God, I want to love right. I want to love rightly. I don't even know what love means, really. I come up with my own thinking. I have had all these influences, all this stuff in my head. But I want to look to you. 
And I want to know this love that you describe as preeminent. I want to describe and know for myself this love that is permanent. I want to know this love that is able to do these things. That to be patient and kind and loving and not boastful and not keeping record of wrongs and being out of the overflow of my heart. Lord God, I need that kind of love. We are quick to say, I love you. But we don't really mean it. We're quick to say the mission of the church is to love God, love others, and make disciples. We need to live according to this word so that that becomes true. We can't expect to live the way that we do, in the flesh, according to the world, influenced by the devil, and then say, oh no, I love you in the Lord. We've got to see that change take place in us. Starting with me, starting with each one of us, individually coming to the Lord and saying, Lord God, change my heart. Change my heart, make it ever true. Change my heart that I may love you. Change my heart that I may love others as you love them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us what love is. And I thank you, Lord, that most importantly, you let us know that you are love. Many times, Lord, we struggle with trying to figure out what to do. What is the loving thing that I need to do? Help us, Lord, in that situation to first turn to you who is love. You are love. And to say, Lord God, I love you. I love you. I receive your love for me. Because you love me, I am fulfilled. I am satisfied. I am whole. Because you love me, I can love somebody else. Because you've shown me what true love is. Because you've lived it out on the earth when there were all sorts of reasons not to do it. When people opposed you and maligned you and slandered you and attacked you and finally crucified and killed you, you still loved. Even from the cross, you said, oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you showed your love for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, this morning, I pray that this word motivate us, transform us. It prepare us to celebrate Christmas. But Lord, most importantly, it transform us so that even as we enter into the new year, we would be people who love according to the word of God. We would be a church that is known for loving God and loving people. We would be a place where, Lord, these characteristics are able to be stated, to be spoken of every single person in the church. We ask for that. We pray for that. We believe for that. We are asking according to your will. And so we are confident that we can have that. We pray all this together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.